Catholic. He preaches one-word sermons. He makes his own homemade unleavened bread for communion. He lives by faith, not by sight, so he has his quiet times in Braille. He once baptized a man during his morning jog. His children would rather do devotionals with him than play video games. He is the most righteous man in the world. I don't often get thirsty, but when I do, I prefer just righteousness. Stay thirsty, my friends. Stay thirsty, my friends. Dios, righteousness, if you catch that, Dios is God. So if you're going to be thirsty, thirst responsibly and thirst for God's righteousness. Amen? All right. Hey, uh, one, one thing that I do want to let you know that you probably saw on your way in uh, is we have a nativity set up. This is far too early for our drive through nativity. So this is a, a celebration today at, from 2 to two o'clock to 4 o'clock. We are doing a drive-by baby shower for our pastor, Ethan, our youth pastor, Ethan, and his wife, Leah, who are uh, expecting a baby, Esther Larissa. Is that correct? Uh, yes. And, uh, and so they're going to be uh, set up out there like Mary and Joseph. And I guess we drive by. And like I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grab like a 24-pack of diapers and go around 24 times just chucking a, a diaper out. <laughs> each time. Actually, I think some of the youth group and the youth leaders are going to be there kind of receiving the gifts. And this is a great way to stay safe and, uh, you know, with COVID and all that kind of stuff going on and still bless uh, Ethan and Leah. If you have not yet uh, uh, gotten a gift for them, it starts at two. So right after this service, you can go out and grab something. Um, or, you know, money is okay too. Is, is that acceptable? I'm not, not for her, but for you guys to, to take care of her, right? Awesome. So, yeah, I'd invite you to, to be a part of that. Uh, let's uh, go ahead and show the, the kind of love that we need to show for uh, our, our pastors, uh, the, the staff. And a lot of you have uh, realized that this month is Pastor Appreciation Month, and this would be an amazing way of, of appreciating uh, all that uh, Ethan and Leah have done in our, youth, uh, in our youth area. So thank you very much for doing that, guys, and, and uh, we'll see you out there between 2 and 4. So we are looking at the fourth beatitude today, going through a series on the Sermon on the Mount, and we've started our series on the Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes. Why? Well, because Jesus began the Sermon on the Mount with speaking blessing to those who would live in God's kingdom, that the citizens of his kingdom, talking about their character and how God's favor would come upon them as they learn to live in the kingdom. I, I saw a great illustration this week about what these Beatitudes are like. They are like a tree. And if you look at the first three of the Beatitudes, those are like the roots of the tree. You've got to find nourishment somewhere. And that nourishment is found in our relationship with God. As Jesus would say, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those who have realized that they uh, by themselves cannot get into the kingdom, cannot live in the kingdom except through God's grace and his power. And then going on to say, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. That speaks of our heartbroken nature when we realize that our sin has destroyed our relationship with God and with our fellow man. 
And uh, then we are mournful about that, and God would bring comfort in the fact that he would tell us that he has forgiven us, that there's no hoops that we have to jump through in order for him to do that, so we can be comforted. And then finally, last week, we saw blessed are the meek, those who take their power and put it under the control of God. And at that point, we know then how to begin to live in the kingdom. So those are the root system of this tree. And now we begin to look at how, what the tree is going to look like, how it grows even before it produces fruit. And how it grows is all dependent upon this fourth uh, beatitude that Jesus talks about. And then uh, the fifth and sixth and seventh and eighth beatitudes will be the fruit that comes from this tree as it grows. And that is found in Matthew chapter 5. And it's just one verse, Matthew 5, verse 6. If you want to take your Bibles and look at that, it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Now, today, I want to break that down into four truths that really show us what it means to thrive in the kingdom that God has called us to live in, this upside-down kingdom. So there are four things I want you to see today. The first one is that we are now involved in a relentless pursuit. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. You'll understand this when you look at some of the songs that we sing in worship. Um, As the deer panteth for the waters, so my soul longeth after thee. For a deer to be panting, that deer is thirsty wanting, desiring, deeply needing a, a drink from the, from, from the fountain. Or holiness. Holiness is what I long for. Holiness is what I need. All who are thirsty, all who are weak, come to the fountain. Dip your heart in the stream of life. Or I want to know you. I want to hear your voice. I want to know you more. I want to touch you. I want to experience you. I want to see your face. I want to know you more. And, and I, oh, I'm desperate for you. And I, I lost without you. Do you see all of these songs speak of this hunger and thirst for something more than what our own lives can satisfy? You see, hunger and thirst is more than just a vague interest, isn't it? It's an intense desire. You are hungry... You are thirsty because it's been far too long since you have had anything to eat or to drink. And your life now depends upon you replenishing your body with what it needs. So Jesus speaks of a hunger and a thirst, a, this, this relentless pursuit. It means that we must get to a point where God is not just part of your life. Oh, I know that feeling all too well. Whereas you're going on through life, say, yeah, I've, I've got my work life, I've got my school life, I've got my family life, and I've got my church life. I've got, I got God. He's part of my life. My faith is part of my life. Folks, we need to get beyond that and begin to understand that God is our life. Our faith walk is life itself. The Apostle Paul boiled it all, all of his life's work all of his theology, all of his evangelism, all of his mission work and his ministry work down to one statement found in Philippians chapter 3. And that's this. I want to know Christ. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. 
Nothing else matters but knowing Jesus, knowing God's righteousness. So after all was said and done, for Paul, it came down to just one thing, a hunger and a thirst to know Jesus more and to walk in his ways. That's the kind of spiritual hunger that we're talking about. Three observations that I can make, though, about hunger is, is hunger actually is a sign of need. It's a sign of need. And this goes back to the very first beatitude. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. You see, hunger is an awareness that you do have a need. It's, Jesus is not pronouncing a blessing on those who think that they're righteous. He doesn't say, oh, blessed are you who think you're righteous. He says, how blessed are you if you're hungering for more righteousness, that, that you're not just content with where you are. It's like, it's like the parable that Jesus told about the Pharisee and the publican or the tax collector. One man seen as very spiritual, very righteous in their, uh, in their culture, and one uh, very much a sinner. And they both went into the fellowship. And the Pharisee was comfortable enough to go to the very front row and stand up to pray about himself and how good he is about following all of God's laws. But in the back, there was that sinner, that tax collector, who couldn't even look up to heaven, but just shouted out, beating his chest, Oh God, God, have mercy. Have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus said that that man went home righteous before God rather than the other man because he had, he had, talked about, he had, he had acknowledged his need, his hunger. His hunger, that, that's the realization that, yes, I have come a long way in my journey, but I have this deep sense of wanting to go further. There's a concept out there that says that good is the enemy of great. Have you ever thought about that? Good is the enemy of great. When you're good, often, often you are just content to stay at that level. You know, hey, DJ, can I get you anything? Oh, no, I'm I'm good. I'm, I don't need anything else. I'm, I'm fine right now. I, I'm content with where I'm at. Being content, though, with being good might just satisfy your hunger and thirst just long enough to keep you from pursuing something great in your life. Hunger is a sign of need. Hunger is also a sign of life. Why, why do babies get hungry? Because they're alive. Because they're alive. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon once said, to hunger after righteousness is a sign of spiritual life. Why? Because nobody who is spiritually dead ever does have that hunger or or their thirst. Spiritual hunger is a great indication that we have moved from being dead in our sins to experiencing the new life that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our old self used to love to, to wallow in the muck, and we weren't even aware that there was a another kind of life, a better kind of life. You see, that being in in the muck, unaware, that's a sign of death. But if you begin to see in yourself this desire to actually do well, do what God wants you to do, you have this desire to please God because you love him, not because you dread the consequence of, uh, of misbehaving, but you want to please him. When that begins to happen in your life, that shows you that you have passed from death into life. Hunger is a sign of life. It's also a sign of health. You know, when I was 12 years old, going into seventh grade, I was 125, 130 pounds and six foot tall. Just imagine that beanpole that I was, okay? In, in, in six, 
No, in four months, I grew six inches. It was a bam, like that. Can you imagine what my metabolism was doing? I went into the doctor, and he said, doctor's orders, you have to eat six times a day. Six times a day. So I would eat a big breakfast, and then my mom would send me two lunches, one for the break and one for lunch. Then I'd get home, and I'd have a triple uh, or a double-decker peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and then we would have dinner, and then after dinner, we would have, uh, I would have to eat one more time. Why? Uh, I was growing. Uh, hunger was a sign of my health, that I'm growing, right? Now, after my metabolism slowed down in college and I kept eating six meals a day, I, uh, I stopped growing this way and I started uh, growing elsewhere that, that might not be as healthy. But, but, you know, hunger is a sign of health. It, it's a sign that a person is growing. If, if you lose your appetite, that's usually a sign that something is wrong. So if you apply that to your spiritual life, man, if, if you're finding that you have this deep longing to grow in Christ, I find that that actually opens ourselves up to growing deeper in our knowledge of God and to the obedience of the Spirit's leading. So where is he leading, and what does that life look like? Where, where does that relentless pursuit, where, what's the goal, the aim of that? Well, it is a righteous passion, a righteous passion. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for righteousness. There's, a, there's definitely a, a hunger in this world. Everywhere you look, people are searching for something. There's this great quest for satisfaction you know it. I know that you know it. And everyone is looking for something. It's part of the human condition. But the only thing that's different between you and somebody else is where you're looking for your fulfillment. What is it that you think is going to satisfy you? Well, that is invariably where you will pursue, what you will pursue, what your life will be obsessed over. Whether it's financial security, or having a boyfriend, or a girlfriend, or a husband, or a wife, or having kids, whether it's uh, having prestige, or a promotion at work, whatever it is. Throughout history, people have run towards something that they thought would bring them satisfaction. But all too often, the world promises things that it does not deliver on. The, The poet Lord Byron once described his journey like this. He said, I drank every cup of joy, I drank early. I drank deeply. I drank drafts, which common millions might have drunk. And then I died of thirst because there was no more to drink. You know, what the world offers will always run out. I I guarantee you this, God's righteousness will always be there. And when you're hungering and thirsting for that, then you are heading towards something that will truly satisfy you. What do you think is going to give you real satisfaction in your life? Is it, is it being accepted? Is it being loved? Is it to uh, finally get the respect that you deserve at home or at work? Is it to get revenge on somebody else? Is it to achieve a certain goal? Whatever you think it is that's going to satisfy you, I guarantee you that that's going to become the consuming passion of your life. And so what Andy read for us today Later on in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus would actually uh, proclaim this truth. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first God's righteousness. And then guess what? All these things that you need, all these things that the world clamors to find and to have and hold on to, all of those things will be added to you as well. 
Which is funny because you can go, well, you used to be able to go to a Christian bookstore. Now you have to go online to see them. But there are a lot of Christian books out there that that are all about um, helping believers pursue things like, oh, a a better life or a a, a better marriage or a a better worship life or, or, or a better financial situation. You've seen those books. I know I have seen those books. And they're, they're not bad, but I think that they kind of skipped over square one. Boy, we should have more and more books about pursuing righteousness at, at its very core, what righteousness is all about. And then God said all of those things, guess what? They kind of fall into place. All these things will be added to you. In other words, it's like when we seek God's favor... And that's what we seek, is we want God's blessing. That's kind of backwards. God, Jesus did not say that blessed are those who hunger and thirst for the blessing. He said blessed are those who hunger and thirst for the righteousness. This beatitude declares that our great passion is to do what is right, no matter what the situation is. And then all of a sudden, we begin to see all of these areas of our life that we could have gone to get a Christian self-help book to help us with. All of a sudden, God seems to be the one that comes in and changes that. Not self-help, but God, spirit, help, right? I've been watching a, a very intriguing series on TV right now. It's, a, it's about the pre-Civil War era, and it's about the uh, abolitionist John Brown. Uh, who kind of, his actions kind of led to the Civil War. Here, here's a man who uh, was looked at a little bit like he was crazy, just a little bit, just a, a touch insane. But what drove him was a passion to do what was right, not revenge. At one point of the story, his son dies. A, a man kills his son in cold blood. All of his other son says, Dad, are we going to go out and kill this man? He said, no, we don't ride for revenge. We ride for righteousness. And what drove him was this passion to do what the king of kings had asked him to do, to do what was right in his day, in the place that he lived, in the face of this awful thing called slavery. In his heart, he knew that it must be destroyed because it was the right thing to do. You know, sometimes I think that we, and it's good that we celebrate and rely on grace. Your grace is enough. But sometimes I wonder if we rely so much on grace that we forget that it's still about righteousness. Yes, we are forgiven. Praise Jesus. And it's nothing that we do in order to to get that forgiveness and that righteousness from God. But now he's asked us to live and to walk in his holiness, in his righteousness. The the law is still good. Jesus said, I have not come to destroy it. I've come to fulfill it. And then to give us his spirit so that God's law will be written on our hearts. You see, righteousness is still important for those who claim to follow Jesus. Now, when you have this relentless pursuit for a righteous passion, that's actually, folks, a, it's a remarkable paradox, if you will. Well, we spoke about a paradox a couple weeks ago when we looked at the beatitude that blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn. In some translations, happy are the sad. We, we talked about how that could be seen as a paradox. But this is a very interesting paradox here. Because what Jesus is saying is that those who stay hungry, stay thirsty, my friends. Those who can stay hungry and thirsting for righteousness. 
Yes, they will find satisfaction. But as you become more and more satisfied with what God has done in your life, guess what? It leads to more and more hunger and more thirst. So the more you hunger and thirst, the more you're satisfied. The more you're satisfied, the more you hunger and thirst. When I was fourth grade, my uh, parents got me a book called The Phantom Tollbooth. Anybody ever read The Phantom Tollbooth? Okay, it's a great book, isn't it? It's especially for a young person to, to read. Uh, it's, it's all about this little boy, Milo, who is transported into a fantastical world, and it's the kingdom of wisdom. And in the kingdom of wisdom, there are two rival cities led by two brothers who are at war with each other. One was all about words. It was called Dictionopolis, and one was all about numbers, and it was called Digitopolis. And, and, and they would argue about which was better, which was more important in, in the, the understanding and knowledge. Was it words or was it numbers? And Milo had to kind of come to the understanding that both are equally important. On his way through the, the kingdom of, of wisdom, though, he had a lot of fantastic experiences. When he was getting close to Digitopolis, he found himself visiting a cave where they were mining numbers, because that's where numbers come from, apparently. Uh, the miners go down into the caves and bring up the numbers. And while they were there, apparently the, the, uh, the whistle blew and it was time to eat. And so they brought this huge kettle out of soup. And, and Milo and his companions were starving. So they started to eat this. But the more they ate, the hungrier they became. And, and pretty soon they were famished after eating this. And they said, what is this? And they said, it was, do you remember what it was? It's called subtraction stew. Subtraction stew. And, and for them, the more they ate, the hungrier they got. I thought, what, what a great picture of what it means to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Because once we want to do more and more good, and that becomes more and more apparent in our life, all of a sudden we love that and we want to do that more and more and the hunger leads to satisfaction, and the satisfaction leads to hunger, so that we will never truly be satisfied, though we are satisfied. Now, what I love about this church right now, at our state of, of being, uh, this, this time, this phase of our life, people I have found are eager for more. I've seen it more, more than the other seven years that I've ever been here. I watch you. I watch you as you're pulling out your pens and your, and your notes and you're taking more notes than I've ever seen before. From the leadership on down, as the elders get together, I see a passion for them to want to, to grow deeper and, and better leaders in the Lord. And, and I see it in Bible studies where people are just hungry and they're, they're soaking things in more and more and more. It's, it's amazing what is happening here. This remarkable paradox is playing out before our eyes. And you know what? Even though this journey leads towards more righteousness in our life, that's its own reward in, in a sense. You need to know something incredible about this verse as we kind of are at a close now. For those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, God gives you a refreshing promise. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be fulfilled. They will be satisfied. They will be refreshed. They will find that they, what they were seeking, this, their passion for life, will not be in vain. Isn't that an incredible promise? After the continual cycle of the disciple thirsting and then becoming satisfied and then thirsting for more, one day we are promised in God's word, one day, 
at that great reunion with our Lord and Savior, we are promised that this hunger and thirst will finally be taken care of because we will be there. Revelation chapter 7, starting in verse 16, says, as we are gathering around the great throne of heaven, it says, they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. Why? Because the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of living water. We will be satisfied. Why? Because Jesus Christ has allowed us, by being our sin, he has allowed us to come into his life and become his righteousness. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, God made Jesus who had no sin to be sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jeremiah, the Old Testament prophet, told us that one day Jesus, the Messiah, would be called Jehovah Tzikednu, which means the Lord, our righteousness. The Lord is our righteousness. Well, what that means is that the holiness that you and I begin as we start to live in this upside-down kingdom, that holiness that begins in us will be completed because the Holy Spirit will allow that to be completed until the day of Christ, and Jesus will be our righteousness. And so in, the presence, in his presence, sin will be done away with once and for all. And what a day that will be. <laughs> Amen. Shouldn't we be looking forward to that day? Not just so that we don't have any more hurt or any struggles in this life, but to know, can you imagine no more sinful nature? No more temptations. No more of this dragging us down back into the muck. He is the victor. And because of that, we will be the victor and we will have that righteousness complete given to us in his presence. What a day that will be. But until that day, before we are fully satisfied, we are called, through Jesus' beatitude here, we are called by God's Spirit to develop a thirst for the kind of life that Jesus both modeled for us and then empowered us to live. You know, all men get thirsty. In this world, you will be thirsty. But you, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, you Thirst responsibly. Thirst for God's righteousness, the Dios righteousness, because that's the only thing that will be truly fulfilling. And stay thirsty, my friends. Right now, Gabe and the team come on back up. And as they do, I want to I speak to you guys directly. What about you? What about you? Are you having this deep desire for the things of God more and more? Do you have a, a, a heart to be more and more like Jesus, to be more and more righteous? Is that really your heart's cry? Are you desperate for him, the bread of life, the, the air that you breathe? Or are you settling for something that is just a cheap substitute? I'm going to tell you, back when I was first starting in ministry in my early to mid-20s, I had been in enough of one of those fancier restaurants, not real fancy restaurants. I, I, I was in ministry. I couldn't afford to go to the fancy, fancy ones. But in the fancier restaurants, you, you know, have you ever seen them where they would have the dessert tray just to show you, to kind of tempt you and say, would you like, would you, would you care for one of these desserts? And they'd have the pie there or the cake. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, okay. I learned in my uh, early 20s that those are fake. Those aren't real 
And so as one day my, the staff was taking me out for my birthday lunch and we were going to the Hungry Hunter and, and we passed by the, the tray and I thought, well, I'm going to educate everybody. And I said, guys, you know that, that that's not real. Those aren't real desserts. I know they look real. They look really good, but they're not real. They said, oh, what are you talking about? So I showed them. I put my finger through one of them. It was real. <laughs> It was not plastic like I thought it would be. And so now here's this nice little dessert tray that they show to people and, and the, uh, the cake or whatever's got the frosting on it and it's got this, this fingerprint just all the way through it. I go, oh, I guess it is real. And then I put it in my mouth and it's not real. It was lard. Not real appetizing. That was a cheap substitute for what was really important, what would be really... <laughs> I guess you can't really call dessert nutritious or nourishing. But, but, but that was not going to help me at all because it wasn't real. I had been fooled twice. Are you being fooled right now? Are you settling for something that does not truly satisfy a, a mouthful, a lard, instead of what would be really, truly satisfying to you? Folks, if you are feeling that itch, if you've never made Jesus Christ your Savior and Lord and don't know what it means to live in God's kingdom, in that chair back in front of you, the pouch in back of you, there are, there's a card that says, I accept Jesus. And in that, on that card, there's a prayer that just kind of, it's not those magical words. That, that just is, a, is there to help guide you in your prayer of surrender to the Lord. To say, I, I'm, I'm done trying to find satisfaction on my own. I want to hunger and thirst for your righteousness, God. And you can use that prayer as kind of a model for your own prayer. And then there's a way for you to actually contact us, if you would like, to say, now what? And we'd love to come alongside of you and talk to you about baptism and what that means and how essential that is and how essential it is to connect with the the body of Christ and to, to take the steps that are vital for your journey. We'd love to do that. That's on you, though for you to contact us and let us know that you've said that prayer and you, you are now part of God's family and now want to step out in obedience. But for the rest of us who have already made Jesus Christ our Savior and Lord, there is a prayer that I want to end with today that I'm going to ask you to pray with me. In fact, why don't we all stand right now? The, the prayer is actually a song. The song is entitled, Breathe. And the words to this song, I, I would pray that each and every one of us here in this congregation who already know who Jesus is, who have already stepped into the upside-down kingdom, would understand to be our heart cry so that we might hunger and thirst for doing the things that God wants us to do and that we would continue on until one day we step into his presence and would be finally made perfect. So as we close today, you know that I love you. I usually then pray with you, but this is going to be our prayer as you and I and the worship team sing the song. And after we're done, you are dismissed. So let's go to the Father in prayer as we sing.